Robert by his uh, ceiling back there. <laughs> nice. I don't know how to integrate that into what we're doing. Something about perspective. It's time to sing a song again. 
Throughout the course of this message, through this this time, the, the music, the video, the word, that you would bypass what's going on in our minds, uh, concerns, distractions, um, the other things that seek to draw us away, and just speak directly into our souls and our spirits, Father. Share with us your word, your good news that in all things you are present, that in all things you are good, that in all things you are strong, and that in all things you are with us. And I just pray this morning and this afternoon and this evening and each day after, Father, that you would enable us to equally be with you. Come now, Father, and accept our praise and our worship. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.
That seemed pretty awesome from here. How was it out there? It's all right. Woo! Man, it's good to praise the Lord. I love it. I love it. Um, I, Frank, I can tell you already, I'm going to wander today, so be ready. Uh, listen, I want to give a, a huge thanks to our uh, tech crew, as we often do, because week after week, we continue to kind of try and refine things, and then some things don't work. We throw some of the other things into the mix, and then it changes 500 other things. And uh, they're keeping up with the band, who I've been pushing pretty hard here in some one-on-one rehearsals with just the band, and they're doing a fantastic job. It's been so much fun. we got Frank back there is figuring out our lighting system. We've had this installed now for over two years, but have not ever really put it to use in this space. And we're still figuring out how we want things to go and want things to look. Um, We're not trying to create a performance space, although what we do here is sort of performative, if you get what I mean. But we also want to be able to use all the things that God has given us in a creative way, and also then to have people like Frank in this case, who's on the light board today, doing something creative because he's a creative guy and it gives him a place to do something in the ministry of the church. And that is just so exciting to me. Really great to see you guys here, to see some uh, faces here with us this morning. And uh, welcome to those of you that are with us online. We are not in a series at this point. We just finished up the book of Mark with uh, Pastor Jason's last message in the book of Mark, Sunday before last, and then last Sunday we celebrated uh, communion together here, had some special music, special media, special videos. And I want to let you know that going into the future, we're planning our calendar. We're going to shoot for planning our calendar for the next year from now, and we're going to be programming in a, a, a larger number, a more frequent number of celebrating the Lord's Supper together with some different emphases on those Sundays related to the life of Christ. One of the things that Pastor Jason and I have been talking about, and it kind of ties in with the message today, is that often, at least in my upbringing, frequently um, the celebration of communion was meaningful, uh, especially uh, in the churches that I grew up in. It was always something that was treated with great um, importance, it wasn't just a tack-on at the end of the service kind of thing. It was, it was a planned time to celebrate that communion together, and I really appreciate having that heritage. Um, however, one of the other things that I noticed about it was that it tended to exclusively, when we said, do this in remembrance of me, we tended to exclusively focus on Christ's suffering, the passion of the Christ, and then maybe the resurrection, but it was a lot about our sin, his sacrifice, which is completely appropriate. However, when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, what Pastor Jason and I have been discussing is there's so much more to the life of Christ and who he was that matters to the Christian today than his sacrifice on the cross. His sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection were the entry point for us to then engage in the life that he wants for us to live and his living that we were reading about in the book of Mark, his interaction with other people, uh, the miracles that he performed, those are the living things that he calls us to engage in. And so I'm excited about that for the future. We'll be uh, working towards that. I'm not sure when exactly we'll kick that off. We will do some of that over the summer, but, you know, summer in Alaska, churches, church attendance, I, You know how it is. None of us have to be explained to here. And you know that we love you and support you in getting out and enjoying all the wonderful things that Alaska has to offer. And for some of you, 
It may be your only time to get out of Alaska, especially after this last year. You have an opportunity maybe to do that. And just know that we at Christ Community Church, we bless you to go and recreate and recharge and rejuvenate and enjoy the creation and the earth that God has put around us here in this beautiful place called Alaska. We always ask that if you can, do something together or do something with people maybe who don't know Jesus or they're looking for something in their lives and just share your faith in community in that. So I know that time is coming. I want to encourage you in that. And, uh, and then here, uh, I think this week, actually, just want to let you know, the coordinator for Grace Works Ministry will be here uh, in uh, Alaska that's going to be running the site out of our church uh, again this summer. You know, of course, we didn't host that last year because of all the craziness that was going on, but they have got a plan in place. It's a little bit reduced in number uh, from the years before just so that they can manage it better, and that's going to work out great for us. But uh, beginning in June, GraceWorks teams will be here ministering all around our city. I want you to begin thinking right now about being able to commit time one night a week. I'm not sure if it's going to be Tuesday or Thursday yet, but it's going to be one of those to our park party over at Shady Birch, same uh, park that we were in the last couple of years, and uh, we'll be over there. GraceWorks comes, and they do such an incredible job of providing all of the hard work, all of the labor, and we need to show up and make friends, build friendships. And I've got a couple of people that I still communicate with. It didn't result in them joining our church. Now, that would be great if that happened, but that's not really the goal. But there are two people from the last two summers that I still stay in contact with. We text, we phone call. Now, maybe someday soon, we'll have lunch and coffee again together um, in a public space. But that relationship formed, and we still engage in that. So it's really about that, and we are sharing some life with Christ together because of that opportunity through the park. So I want you to be planning for that. Uh, we've had some faithful folks over the last few summers who have really come out there, but guys, more of us need to come and be a presence in the park for that one day a week and, uh, and just show the love of Christ to our neighbors, all right? So be planning for that, be thinking of that. So because we're not in a series today, I'm going I'm to jump us into just a, a story that I love, and it's, it's related to the first video that we saw this morning about perspective, perspective. Um, I find in my own life that sometimes, no matter whether it's a good thing or what I perceive to be a bad thing, or maybe it really is a bad thing that's happening, something that's occurred, that often I can find a way to deal with that circumstance appropriately if I take and kind of just do a check of my perspective of what I'm seeing. And so I want to share with you this story. It's out of the book of John, chapter 5. I feel like, actually, we've touched on this story not too long ago, and I think that's because uh, there's a version of it as well, maybe that was in Mark, or it may have come up in something else. But I'm going to deal with it in a different way today than, than we have before. And so it's John chapter 5, verse 1, and it says this, that after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, the blind, the lame, and paralyzed. And one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 
years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him and said, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Wow. Now, the text here paints a picture for us of what this place looks like. Uh, it's a large stone pool, probably uh, naturally fed from the, from the spring underground. And the, the lore was, the story was, which the man references, was that an angel would come and stir the waters. And when the waters were stirred, that was the power of God in that water. And if you could get into the water, you could be healed. And the man references that because when Jesus asks him that very important question, what do you want? Do you want to be healed? The man who's been paralyzed for 38 years and laying in this particular place for we don't know how long, but probably a very long time wishing to be healed, he says, when the water gets stirred down there, I can't get myself down there and I have no one to help me. And so as hard as I try, others beat me to it. And I can't find my healing. And Jesus responds to him. I, I f am always fascinated by this story because we get the picture here, right? It says that there were the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. There were so many people around this pool. It says there were five colonnades. And those are just like um, porches stone columns and stairwells going up into them because it, it would have been a beautiful place if you've ever had the opportunity to go to, to Europe or into some places in South America where uh, the fountains and, and things have been built and they're so ornate and they're, they're, they're massive, you know, they're imposing the stone columns and uh, the capstones that are put on top of them and these carved stones that are, that are either placed or they're even carved into the very ground itself. They're, they're amazing to behold with your eyes. And this one was large. It was a large pool with five of those carved and decorated porches placed around it. And so you can imagine that it was a place where people came uh, to, to hang out and to be with one another in community. But somewhere over time, this story of the water being stirred took over. And now it's filled with those who want to be healed. Now, I don't have an explanation for this, and sometimes it bothers me, and this is where perspective comes into play. I don't understand, in a human sense, why Jesus walks in and chooses one guy out of everyone to heal. Now, we don't know categorically that he didn't heal anyone else? He could have. But we don't know because it's not in the story. And so we have to go with the story that we have because it's trying to teach us something. Because see, in my perspective, I would think it would be great if everyone in there were healed and that would show Jesus' power and that would certainly be true. But then I'm reminded of another time and this was 
uh, in part of our story from the book of Mark, when the the religious leaders had asked Jesus, they said, "Um, we've seen some of the things you've done. Will you do another miracle for us? And Jesus says, no, actually, I'm not. I'm not going to do that anymore for you. You've had the prophets. You know the Torah. You know the scripture. You know the prophecies about the Messiah. You've seen the things that I can do. You've heard the teaching that I've taught, and you still don't believe. You didn't even believe Moses or Abraham for everything that they were saying. You don't believe me. Another miracle is not going to change your mind. Now you're just turning me into someone to entertain you with tricks. That's paraphrased, by the way. That was not a direct quote from the scriptures. That's just my perception of the story. But frequently, we find Jesus in this one case that I'm, I'm talking about. He says, I'm not going to do any more tricks because that's how you see them. And in other places we see, and I think that's what happens here, and why we see it from God's perspective, what was God's purpose in healing this one person is there are other times where Jesus says in response to questions, in fact, uh, sometimes there's a man who's, um, who has a, a physical problem, and someone says to him, what did this man do that, that God cursed him this way? Why is he like this? What did his parents do? What's in his generational history that's caused him to be like this? Because the perspective was, you have this issue because of some sort of terrible thing you did or someone else did, and now you're being punished for that. And Jesus actually says, it's actually none of those things. This person is the way they are right now in this moment because I'm going to heal them, and when I do, God will be glorified. And so I have to get my perspective in line with God's perspective in this story. When I think about why didn't he heal everyone, I have to think about what was God's purpose. And ultimately, the purpose that Jesus was pursuing as he, as he went about the Father's work was not to make everyone's life better. wasn't to make everybody's life happy. It wasn't even to heal everyone who had a malady or an issue, although we also understand from Scripture we have these wonderful stories that we can point to the details of, but then we get other lines where it says that Jesus went throughout the countryside healing a lot of people. It wasn't just one or two here, that he was healing many, many people, but there were still other times like this where there's some sort of reservation in what he does. And from a human perspective, I go, man, that stinks. Doesn't seem very nice. But if I come to it with a God's perspective, and I ask myself, what is Jesus attempting to do in front of all the people who are there? is that ultimately he wants God to be glorified. And Jesus spends a great deal of time reminding us, directing us, teaching us, teaching his disciples, now teaching us through what they've recorded for us, that the the Holy Spirit has inspired them to write down, to, to preserve for us today to learn from his believers. Jesus spends a great deal of time pointing our attention not to the maladies of this world, but to the world that is beyond, to all of eternity, and the state, the condition of our eternal being, the spiritual woman and man. 
And I don't know about you, but I still sometimes find that to be a great tension in my own life because I'm tethered to this earth by my flesh. And I don't want to suffer in my flesh. I don't want to see others suffer in their flesh. And sometimes it's difficult to understand why those things happen. Why do we deal with these things? Why do we deal with, with mental health? And why do we deal with physical health issues? Why do we see uh, bad things happen? Why are, are difficult things happening in our world? Why are some put down more than others and some are elevated more than others? And the perspective that I gain from Scripture is that I think Jeff and I were just talking about this the other day, something that we talk about here a lot. The perspective I gain from Scripture is that there's an eternal existence for us. And this life is connected to that in some ways, but that's our ultimate state of being. Every single soul is going to live for eternity in some form or fashion. And Jesus tries to point us to being secure and safe in our eternal security beyond our physical needs. And sometimes he goes to a place like this, this porch at Bethesda, and he touches this one man because the conversation that happens after this, if you want to continue reading, I'd encourage you to do that. John chapter 5, pick up in verse 9 or 10. This happens to be on the Sabbath. No one's supposed to be working on the Sabbath. And somehow the, the religious leaders see Jesus healing this guy on the Sabbath as being against the law. And he gives them some rebuke. He deals with them again in that way because they're focused on the physical and Jesus is trying to point their minds to the spiritual, our spiritual need, our spiritual thirst, our spiritual hunger, our spiritual death or life. Perspective is a funny thing. Uh, we have this platform here in uh, I don't remember who I was talking about this with. We were actually discussing a little theater history. And maybe some of you have been to a place like this. Karen and I have. Um, I th was it the Winchester house that had the weird stage? No, it was the one in San Diego, right? The weird, the little, went to a haunted house in San Diego. It was not haunted. If it was haunted, they were very boring ghosts. Let me just say that. Nothing happened. Um, but you get to see some history and you get to hear some stories and it's fun. But this particular house was owned by a judge who was also really into theater in the early like 1800s to mid-1800s. And there was a, a design of stagecraft building the platform for, for stages and for theater, for acting, that was called a rake. And you'll still see it used occasionally. TBA Theater actually did a Frankenstein presentation a few, a few years ago, and they built what's called a raked stage. And what that rake means is that it starts at the front of the stage and it goes back, and it has an incline, and it narrows as it goes towards the back. And to our brain, to our eyes, it gives a, what's called a forced perspective. And the people who stand at the back 
look disproportionate in size to the people who stand in front. And it can actually give you the feeling of, of greater distance than if the stage is just flat. And that's all just changed by forcing our perspective to see something different. Uh, something similar happens in uh, Hollywood. Still happens in Hollywood. It was a big thing back in the golden era of Hollywood, especially with uh, uh, westerns and things like that. If you've ever been to a place like Universal Studios, done the backlot tour, they'll tell you about this. They take you down a couple of the streets, and they'll tell you, on this side of the street, all of the door frames are normal, regular sized. The doors are regular height, regular width. The doorknob's in the normal place it would always be. But on that side of the street, the door frames are narrower, they're shorter, the doorknob is placed appropriately for that, and they say, why do you think that is? And it's because in the old days, they wanted to make sure that the hero, the cowboy, looked big. And some of them weren't very big. <laughs> and so if they stood in a normal doorway with a bunch of other big dudes, they didn't look so intimidating, and it didn't look so heroish. But you could put them over against these doors, and suddenly everything built around them was built to a slightly smaller, narrower scale, and suddenly they seemed larger than life. We have a couple of big stars in Hollywood these days. One that comes to mind is Tom Cruise. Not a tall man. Yet he's a huge action star, right? And we know from back scenes, you know, behind the scenes intel, that Sometimes you put guys on boxes because they're leading ladies taller than they are. And in the, the world of movies and media, unless that's the story, nobody wants to see that apparently. We see it in the Harry Potter films with uh, Robbie Coltrane plays Hagrid. He looks like an absolute giant. He's a big man, but he's not that big. It's forced perspective. It's all in the way we perceive what we're seeing. It doesn't necessarily change the thing that we're seeing. We're still seeing, you know, Roy Rogers or one of the great early cowboys in a movie. Still the same guy, but the perspective is different. We're still seeing Tom Cruise. We're still seeing Robbie Coltrane, just a regular old guy, but now he's a giant. Lord of the Rings does the same thing. Stages built with cutouts so that the hobbits are, you know, this tall when they're, they're fairly normal-sized people. I mean, to be fair. Uh, Sean Astin, who else? I uh, can't think of any of those guys' names right now. They're not big people, so it makes it easier. But you get what I'm saying. Forced perspective. Don't hurt yourself, all right? Don't hurt yourself, but if you can... Just in, the, in your seat right now, just lean back and look up. Totally different view up there, isn't it? <laughs> than if you look forward. Look to your left, look to your right. It's a different perspective. It's a different view. It's a different way of looking at things. I think about this, this guy on his bed. I'm not going to do it uh, here. I, I used an example like this at the... Uh, Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting a couple of years ago. I thought I was going to need one of the EMT guys to come and help me get off the stage, but I laid down on the floor. Uh, I, you know, those of you who have known me for a long time, you know I'm getting to the age now where laying down on the floor is generally not a great idea. Uh, 
getting up involves a lot of rolling around and finding things to grab onto, and it's not pretty, so I'm not going to subject you to that. But think about this guy. 38 years. And for however long he's been at the pool of Bethesda, his perspective has been unchanged. His view is whatever's above him, where he's laying. It's the feet of the people walking by him. It's the occasional, out of the corner of his eye, suddenly lots of motion because the water has stirred and people are rushing to get to the pool and then he is calling for help, maybe reaching out his arms and trying to drag himself down towards the water and he never quite makes it. His perspective never changes until Jesus shows up. And he looks into the circumstances of this man's life and he asks him that ultimately important question. Do you want to be healed? And I would suggest to you that in the circumstances of our lives, he is frequently asking us the same question. It may not be, do you want to be healed, but it might be, do you want this to be different? (laughs) Do you want to see something else? Do you want to go in a different direction? Do you want this about your life to change? Because here's, I love to play this game as I think about these scriptures and these stories sometimes. Here's the deal. If Jesus, if everything had transpired exactly as we've described and we came to this moment and Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And the guy said, well, not really. He could. Listen, I've known people like that, people with chronic illness who at some point in their lives said, you know what, I don't really want to be healed of this because it's become so familiar to me. I'm afraid of what might be different if this changes. It's difficult for me to grasp that, but I've, I've known people like that. I've met people like that. But it was his decision, it was his choice to make in response to Jesus' question, do you want to be healed? He could have said, no, thank you, I don't. And his perspective would have remained unchanged. But because he said, I do. I've been here for a long time, and if I could get down to that water when the angel stirs the pool, I would have already been healed. So yeah, man, I would love to be healed. And Jesus instantly speaks into his life and says, let's change your perspective. Get up. Take your bed, the symbol of your illness, the symbol of your inability, the symbol of your being stuck and mired down and alone. Pick that thing up. See, it used to hold you, now you're going to hold it. It used to master you, now you're going to master it because I'm changing your perspective and I'm telling you, get up and go that way. And sometimes, I think this is what he's trying to do in our lives as we encounter struggle, we encounter trial, uh, we encounter uncertainty, 
Whatever you want to fill that blank in with what's happening in your life that you're wrestling with and you need God's help with and you need assistance with, whatever that is, I believe that Jesus always stands ready to ask the question, what do you want out of this? Do you want this to be different? Scripture tells us, and it's a very general statement, we have not because we do not ask. Now, do not go from this place, sit there at home, uh, talk with your friends and tell anyone that I said that if you ask Jesus for money, he's going to plump up your bank account. Because it doesn't work. Are you with me? <laughs> Hasn't worked for me. It could. He can. And he, he apparently does for some people. He blesses some people in that way. But that's not what I'm talking about. Don't even go from here and, and, and think or tell people that I've told you that the Bible teaches that if you're having a, a problem and a struggle and a trial, that if you just ask Jesus, he's just going to snap his fingers and it's all going to be better because ultimately that man picking up his bed and walking was not about him being lame and paralyzed. It was about glorifying who God is and demonstrating that if and Jesus says this in another place. People are mad at him again about healing somebody on the Sabbath. And it's because Jesus said, go, your sins are forgiven. And the people are mad. They're like, who's this guy to be forgiving sins? Right? And Jesus says, you know what's even better than that? Not only are your sins forgiven, but guess what? Now you're healed. Now take up your bed and walk and let's see. Which one's harder? Which one's harder to say? Be healed or forgive your sins? Jesus was always trying to show us, and he's still trying to show us today, that he is master level able to speak into our lives and to, to help us with our circumstances. But the promise is never to snap his fingers and make everything okay. He can, and sometimes he does. I've seen it happen. But when he does, it's because out of that comes a testimony of how great God is, and that is what it means to glorify the Father. And so, all I can do is encourage you, encourage myself. Remember, I'm, I'm, I'm always talking to me when I'm talking to you. God, God's talked to me about something, and I'm trying to share it with you about what he said. And, if, and somehow, this foolishness that is preaching, he comes and he speaks to us through his word and through this nonsense that comes out of my face, and he's so good to do that, and I can't believe it. But he does. And what I want to say to us this morning is that whatever we're dealing with in our lives, whatever our circumstances are, Jesus stands ready always asking a question that is relevant to our circumstance. And ultimately, the question that he's asking isn't so much, do you want to be healed? Do you want money? Do you want happiness? Do you want satisfaction? Do you want revenge? It's none of those things. What he's really asking is, do you want me to be with you in this? Or are you just going to keep trying to slug it out on your own? Because he will let you do that. But what he wants 
is to be with you. And I'm absolutely convinced from my own experience and the experience of others that if we will then welcome him into our circumstances, respond to him with whatever the appropriate response is that is something like, yes, I want to be healed. Yes, I want you with me. That when we will do that, he immediately begins to change our perspective into his perspective of what's happening in our lives. It doesn't mean he'll solve all the problems. But oh, how important is this? It means that he will be with you at all times. That sounds like good news to me. That's like the best news. He will never leave me. He will never leave you. He will never forsake us. We're going to sing one more song together this morning. And we're going to close with a video. Uh, The links are in the description. And Jan has those for our folks online in case we get bumped off with the video. Don't know if we will or not. Um, But keep these things in mind. I, I believe this is something the Lord wanted to share with us this morning. Keep them in mind as we sing this last song together. Because I think that's really what this song is also about.
song is called Even When He Is Silent, and uh, talks about a couple of different things about how we, we believe that the sun is shining even when we can't see it, and then it ends with, do we believe that God is there even when it seems that he is silent, and I know that he is, and that he's never truly silent.
newsletter, make sure that you are on our mailing list. You can contact us right through the website at that uh, c3ak.com slash hello link. Send us your info. We'll make sure you get on the newsletter list. But uh, they will be traveling. Uh, they'll be doing some ministry work coming up here pretty soon, right? You have some plans very soon to travel and do some of that uh, very important work that they do, working with uh, missionaries, their families, and with teens and kids in areas where folks are working in some very difficult places. And as well, they're preparing for a home visit uh, this year where they will have the opportunity to refresh and recharge and reconnect with some friends and family throughout the United States and maybe some other places as well. And uh, they need funding to make all that stuff happen. And so I'm asking you to give generously to the ministry of Joe and Holly and everything that you give uh, this month of May to missions. I love you guys a lot. We'll go directly to Joe and Holly to use as they need to do that. So please be generous and give and uh, support the ministry that they're doing. And know that uh, I love you. God loves you. Have a great week. And I'll see you again soon. All right. Be blessed, everybody.